Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. This is Fergus O'Carroll in Chicago. You can always visit our website at onstrategyshowcase.com where you can see the creative work associated uh, with our guests. Uh, you can connect with our guests also and sign up for episode alerts. But one thing I wanted to point out is that um, somebody reminded me of this the other day. Not sure why I haven't thought of it before. But if you do particularly like an episode, do feel free to tell others about it. What a novel concept that would be. You can grab all the URLs off the site and promote them. If you do enjoy something, please do share it with friends. It always helps build our network around the world. We talked today with uh, Orlando Wood. And forgive me, I have a bit of a head cold today. Orlando is the author of two books, um, one that has become very famous in recent years called Lemon, and another one recently called Look Out. We focus our conversation around Look Out today and to the, um, to the factors of uh, creative effectiveness. And we use the term effectiveness here in two contexts. One is the development of a creative execution and the testing of a creative execution. And I think when we look at system one group, in my opinion, we're looking at uh, predicting the effectiveness of work that is either in market or is uh, in development. But then there's the broader conversation around effectiveness, which includes broader factors such as time in market, channel mix, physical availability of products, et cetera. And so they're really, we're blending two conversations into one here. Orlando's book really talks about, uh, uh, to, a, uh, to a very specific degree, many factors that are present in highly effective work. And my hope is that the industry is open to dialogue around this, because uh, my sense is that there, there are going to be challenges in convincing some folks that there are predictable factors that determine effectiveness. As such, I think that I can imagine that it will be tough for us to sort of advocate for this. And not all of us are going to agree with what we hear in uh, this conversation, nor are we going to agree with all that's written in Orlando's books. And, that, and I think that's perfectly fine. And Orlando would say much the same thing. But there are components that can continue to help us as we build the case for more effective marketing and more effective creative executions uh, when we look at the work of Orlando and others in the space. I do want to uh, also make note of, of a point that came up in this show, which I loved, which is this, this idea that um, we talk about a, a term which Orlando uses in this book, and it's called, it's actually considered to be an alternative to long-term. When we talk about short-term and long-term performance marketing or brand marketing, this concept of the long-term has been, uh, when you really think about it, it's kind of a troubled term. And Orlando has used the term long-lasting as an alternative to long-term. And I think um, Stephen King also sort of referenced uh, this term in the essay where, uh, according to Matt Tanter and Mother, he warned against using the term long-term and suggested long-lasting as a more accurate alternative. And I love that. I think it's a, it's a great, great idea. I think it can possibly save us from being dismissed early by using terms that just sort of shut people down. Because no CFO or CEO really wants to have to wait a number of years for impact. They want to do things that have lasting impact, not long-term impact. So this is Orlando Wood. He is Chief Innovation Officer at System One Group in London. They're based in London. And he's the author of two books, Lemon and the more recent Look Out. Enjoy. So it's great to have Orlando on the show. Um, you know, I've mentioned this a couple of times, Orlando, on, on different episodes, but um, 
it's it's always terrific to see that effectiveness is becoming a much more important issue. And, and that sounds bizarre to say in, in marketing, right? But it is, while it has been, I feel a, 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 a it has more consistently been an issue and a factor of accountability uh, in parts of Europe, particularly in the UK. It's books like yours, it's it's understandings that come from books like yours and the work of many others. And, and I think uh, the ability to track effectiveness better than before uh, is what's made this topic uh, more top of mind for many people. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, I know that your yours is not the, the the field of effectiveness necessarily, is my understanding, or am I or am I or, or would you describe it differently? Well, hello, Fergus, and great to be on the show. It's yeah, no, I mean the field I'm in, I suppose, is effectiveness. Um, but it's with a with a you know very focused lens on on creative effectiveness on the creative itself, talking about the kinds of features of advertising that elicit an emotional response that capture attention, what I describe as broad beam attention, and put things into long term you know lasting memory, and that's uh, that kind of advertising as I think my work shows is be becoming rarer in this digital age and uh, you know I hope that my work helps to shine a light on on how we how we maintain it because I think it's going to be more important not less in this digital age funnily enough so if you work with a, a group called system one group um, yeah. can you tell us about uh, system one because I think it's important to put into context uh, um, the, the the system one group and its methodology before we talk about the book. So tell us about the System One Group and what your role is as Chief yeah. Innovation Officer. Well, as you say, I'm Chief Innovation Officer of System One, which is uh, an effectiveness uh, measurement company. And we um, test every ad that airs on television in the UK and the US. We test other formats, media too, but but that's the uh, the. the the primary sort of testing, I suppose, that we do. And we test it for emotional response. And this enables any advertiser to look at their uh, advertising in relation to any other competitor and to get a sense of how well they're performing in creative terms. And so we help companies not only to assess, you know, everything that they're that they have on air at the moment, but also in the development of new work. Uh, and, you know, you can subscribe to our Test Your Ad platform and, um, you know, see, see, upload your ad easily to test it or just look at what else is going on in your category to see uh, how uh, you and your competitors are performing. We also uh, test for brands, brands, you know, fame, feeling and fluency, how strong they are on those things. And we also test ideas as well. But um, really, you know, the, the main focus is on advertising research. And that's my role at the company is to look at how we go about measuring advertising and what kind of work really connects with audiences and drives lasting business effects. And that's um, that's my interest and my um, and my job as well, which is a wonderful thing. I'm familiar, of course, and many of us are with 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 brands such as Millward Brown and their methodology. Is is the is the system one methodology different from that, and and how so? 
I suppose that the thing that makes us uh, unique, I think, is the emphasis that we place on emotional response in that we show people an ad and, and we gauge their emotional response to it. And we use that as our measure, essentially, because emotion is a great, great proxy for many other things. Um, it, it tells you whether you're likely to capture attention because emotion orientates our attention. And it tells you whether you're going to be putting, you know, your brand into into memory, into long term memory, creating those neural networks, refreshing those neural networks, you know, with your advertising and also helping people to choose when it comes to a future buying occasion between options. You know, we tend to go for things that uh, that, that we feel something positively, you know, for uh, the affect heuristic, you might call it. So. So emotion is really at the front and center of our approach. And we have a, a star system that, you know, enables us to adjust your share of voice or extra share of voice to give you a long term prediction from all of your advertising uh, on air, you know, as to how likely it is you'll, you'll, you'll be to grow in the following year, a kind of long term prediction. We also give a sort of short term prediction, but it's the long term emphasis that I think perhaps makes us different and our focus on emotion too. Are you finding that more clients, Orlando, are now beginning to believe in the importance of emotional response in advertising? I think so, yeah. I mean, there's been so much work done to show, you know, that it does matter. Uh, you know, it's a, we sort of, as Paul Feldwick, a you know, great advertising mind, uh, I think, put it, you know, we seem uh, to we seem to know more than ever about um, what makes for effective advertising, and, and yet we seem to be doing uh, precisely the opposite. Um, that's slightly uh, amusing quip, but you know, I think it's it, it's fair to say that people are very um, switched on to emotion. Certainly over here in the in Europe and the UK, I, I think to some extent too in the US, um, and that you know when you show how it interrelates with attention how it generates you know emotional campaigns generate greater business effects then i think the evidence starts to mount up and it's not just me who says this you know i'm, I'm not a lone voice here there are uh, many others who've done work to show this too we, we've had paul felwick on the show and he said to oh, me, terrific. yeah and we were talking about uh, his his book, his latest book. And so we, one of the things I remember from that was, I think it, I may be paraphrasing him, but he said that, uh, um, that, uh, that we've in, in essence sort of lost the will to do work that works. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe, it really I is. If, I don't know if we've lost the will or we've lost the, um, I don't know, lost the confidence, lost the experience, perhaps a bit of all of those. I think it's interesting just how much focus there is today on measurement and effectiveness and how little focus there is on the work itself. Certainly when you go to many uh, advertising conferences, it's all about measurement. And I think that's that tells us something about the age we're, we're living in to a certain extent. You know, I mean, I, I talk in the book about both books about uh, different modes of attending to the world, you know, that are associated with the the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere of the brain, as psychiatrists and neuroscientists Ian McGilchrist describes it. And I think we've, 
you know, not only has advertising become a little bit, and culture generally become a little bit left brain dominant, but, you know, our way of thinking about advertising, um, the emphasis on, on measurement, you know, over the work itself. Now, I, th- I think measurement, of course, has a place and is very helpful, but, um, you know, we, we mustn't lose sight of, of, of talking about the work or feeling afraid. We must get, feel afraid about talking about the work. Now, do, you, do you mean That's that work is being measured, but not necessarily um, not being addressed as a result of measurement? I think what, what's happened is we've, we've developed in the last 15, 20 years new ways of measuring the effectiveness of advertising. And these new measures uh, tend to be more short term and address the here and now, you know, the last click, um, that that kind of, you know, what's going to happen in the immediate term or what has happened in the immediate term. And they they miss the bigger the, the bigger uh, role of advertising, which is, you know, to raise a brand's fame, to increase its salience. And to do that through emotional work that's distinctive, recognizable, memorable. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of our focus as an industry, I, you know, I feel this whenever I go to a conference, is we're more interested in the measurement than anything else, than the work itself. You know, you have to, I been, went to a conference recently, I saw one person talking about an ad, you know, showing an ad. Everything else was about ever more detailed um, you know, measurement strategies. And that, um, that I think, is, is a bit of a shame. I think we need to sort of rebalance things a bit and, you know, hope that my work enables us to, to do that. You know, as someone who's involved in evaluating work, do you have confidence when you go to you go to um, you go to sessions and, and conferences and you see people talking data, do you have confidence in both the quality and the interpretation of data when you see it in conferences? Well, generally speaking, yes, I think we we do a you know pretty good job uh, on the whole. But I think, you know, it's whether we do a complete job, it's whether we do a whole job. You know, we can be very good at measuring certain things, but maybe not seeing the the bigger uh, impact. And that's my... Um, you know that's why I th- that's why I'm so um, I suppose keen to demonstrate the importance of emotion. Talk about advertising that makes brands famous. You know that generates these lasting effects because a lot of the the measurement and a lot of the quite a lot of the advertising you see today is I think focused very much on the on sort of a, a, it's a different style of advertising that focuses on linear and, and um, direct effects, not, yeah. not the kind of broad lasting effects that I know advertising can create. So tell us about, you know, tell us about the, your work uh, as it in contrast, or in many ways, maybe it complements the work of people like Les Bennett, Peter Fields, Daniel mm. Kahneman, and uh, Daniel Kahneman being the writer of Thinking Fast and Slow, a book that's that was very popular over the last maybe I think it came out about ten years ago. Tell us about your work. How is it similar, or how is it distinct, or how does it build upon the work of of these others? Gosh, well, you know, I mean, uh, you mentioned an, uh, an several giants there. Um, Peter and Les's work 
with the IPA and the IPA's effectiveness database and the, you know, their work individually has shown, uh, I suppose what it does is it, it, it shows how advertising works, that there are these two kinds, um, this the sort of advertising that, uh, you know, creates these short and direct effects, but which I suppose doesn't, doesn't you know, it requires you to keep it switched on in a way. Um, but doesn't generate these cumulative effects that doesn't generate these lasting effects. And, this is, this uh, is performance marketing versus yeah, typically labeled brand yeah, oriented. Yeah, marketing. That's right. And they've shown, they've just put, they, you know, they've just shown the way brilliantly um, shown how brand building advertising is you know, of the two types more important, you know, and, and that you need to invest in brand for the other type to work. What makes me different from perhaps them is that, you know, I look at the features of advertising at, in more detail, and I look at the way in which they connect with audiences, the way that they feed through to different types of business effect, you know, how you might go about measuring uh, those things, of course, but how you go about creating them in the first place. And uh, that's what my two books, Lemon and, and Look Out, really you know, focus on. But they also have a cultural dimension. So they talk about, you know, advertising is not made in a vacuum. It feeds on the culture around. And I think that in both of them, I describe how it's not just advertising, which is changing in style over the last 15, 20 years, but that culture has changed dramatically in that time. And, you know, you can see it and hear it in the, in the music and you can see it in the shows that are made and the films that are produced you know, there have been massive changes. Part of the, the problem uh, that, that we've had is that, you know, our habits of thinking have changed in such a way in the last 15, 20 years that the work that we create looks and feels very different and I think is, is, tends to be less effective as a, as a result. So in what ways is it actually different? Yeah. Well, I, I, in both books, I, I trace, you know, through a a long-running soap opera in the UK, Coronation Street. I am an um, avid fan of that, Orlando. <laughs> I truly am. I've brought well, this up many you, times. Well, I, I watch it. Yeah, I, I still fantastic. watch it today. That's that's great to know. And and it's you get um, it on Hulu. Yeah, that, I really. Um, well, I've 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 you know looked at uh, a typical week from uh, the uh, the ads of that show going back thirty years or so, and in it you can trace quite dramatic changes in the, in the style of advertising. So whereas advertising uh, once uh, tended to be, um, I suppose, uh, played out in live time, so people talking to each other, connecting with each other, where there was quite a lot of music, where there were characters, um, where there was a clearly identifiable sort of place in which things were set and, and happened, um, we've moved to a sort of advertising which mu is much closer up, actually. You know, we sort of look, get really close to the product, to the pack shots, uh, to the product itself. Um, we see fewer people. Um, people. We see fewer people interacting. If we do see people, we just see their sort of hands or their mouths or their eyes. Um, and we tend to, it tends to be very rhythmic, both in, in its sound and also in the way that it looks. So short, sharp cuts, we see a lot of those. We see a lot of words on the screen. 
Um, and everything feels, you know, rather self-conscious, actually. And funnily enough, in, in recent times, I think we've also seen the emergence of a kind of blank stare, you know, people looking at, at the camera. If you see someone at all, they're kind of staring with an empty expression down the barrel of the lens. And all of that, um, that sort of fairly mechanistic advertising, which I think probably has its roots, I'm pretty sure of this, in social media advertising uh, has become more common and more common on television too. It's the sort of advertising that can be edited down very quickly or, or changed, uh, you know, so that you can, you can put it in different channels or that can be aired across the world, you know, that perhaps doesn't have, doesn't draw on local culture. So it all starts to look a bit the same and it's pretty fast paced and it's not at all good at putting things into long-term memory, uh, editing that emotional response, or even uh, capturing attention. Do you feel, Orlando, that that, that is a, a conscious decision that is being made? Is it maybe a reflection of the current cultural mood? Um, or how do you think about it? How, why has that change happened? Well, it's that's an exceptionally good question, and you, you know, I I couldn't I didn't know either. Um, I started on this track of research looking at characters and why you know long running, repeated, recurring characters seemed to be disappearing. I showed that they were disappearing, and I showed that they were more effective as well. You know, the kind of M and M's characters or the Geico Gecko, for instance. Uh, you know, that these things were much less common than they used to be. And I couldn't explain it at first at, at all, really. Um, and then I came across the work of a, a brilliant scientist, Ian McGilchrist. And Ian uh, talks about the two hemispheres of the brain and the way that they attend to the world. And he describes how the left hemisphere is very narrow in its attention. And it, uh, you know, likes to abstract things from the, its context. It's very sort of close up. Um, and it uh, is, uh, you know, not very good at live time at all. In fact, it sort of breaks things down into snapshots, it atomizes time. It, it sees things as flat. It doesn't have a very good or any real sense of um, space or depth, live time. It's interested in things rather than, uh, people, things and tools with which to manipulate the world. Language, you know, resides in the left hemisphere. Um, it, it can't understand music, only very basic rhythm. And this is typically associated or, or defined in, in commonplace conversation as the more rational side of the brain? Well, that, that, that's, the, that's the old kind of um, way of looking at it, I suppose. And, you know, since the 60s, we've had this mistaken idea that the left and the right brain do different things. But that's not really true. It's just that they do things differently, as McGilchrist puts it. They've got different modes of attention. If the left hemisphere is looking for, as it does in birds, for, for grubs and worms, you know, uh, uh, close up, the right hemisphere is making sure it doesn't become someone else's lunch. You know, certainly at certain times in history, normally when we've invented a new technology that we're getting to grips with in some way, the habits of thinking more associated with the left hemisphere start to come to the fore. So all that that those advertising styles are described are actually, you know, much more suited to the left hemisphere and this narrow beam attention. 
when in fact, you know, we should be creating advertising, if we're trying to interest people in brands, that is more suited to that broad beam attention of the right hemisphere that's open to novelty and it's vigilant for things that are happening at the edge of our awareness. You know, and that means the living, it means characters, it means uh, people doing things, you know, sort of with each other at knowingly uh, in a space, in a place, you know, something out of the ordinary emerging from a, a scene. One of the things that this industry suffers from and um and i think in every in every role in this industry we all comment on it which is that we rarely want to do what somebody else has done <laughs> and i'm i'm curious that that has got to also be a factor that our desire to be different or to or to create newness means that we many times run away unconsciously run away from what has been effective in the the task of inventing new i think you you could be right there and you know i think it's time to sort sort of reframe what what new is i mean there's there's novelty which is you know the way that the left hemisphere might see it which is you know something uh you know totally novel or there's newness you know as ian mcgilchrist puts it which is seeing in the familiar something new again you know um so it's a bit like when you you know when the you get snowfall and you walk out onto the street and everything feels different you're totally familiar with the street but you see it afresh you know like new when culture starts to find itself in something of a, a a rough and difficult place sometimes it's only by looking back um what's gone before that you can find the sufficient energy to propel you forward i mean this is what uh, rembrandt did you know he was looking back at titian and veronese and others we shouldn't be afraid about of looking back at what what the greats have done because that will you know give us inspiration and energy to move forward ourselves perhaps even the right kind of tone of voice you know that that's that i think is really important and i know that Others, you know, John Hegarty said a similar similar things. You know, we we tend to throw things away, but we, you know, we ought to look back and 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 reflect on um, some of the great things that have gone before, the craft that's gone into those things. So, what's interesting to me, and actually, I'll, I'll just pose the question to you: What have been the effects or the impact on this industry and on the effectiveness of the work of this sort of? Uh, cultural or taste change in terms of what we are showing on camera or how we are structuring creative? Well, the, the impact of this, you know, this rather mechanistic way of doing advertising um, has has been that, you know, it, it doesn't capture the attention. It doesn't doesn't put things in lasting memory. It doesn't it, it elicit that re emotional response. And I show that through, you know, the work that I've done. I show uh, how that emotional response for that, it's so necessary to capture these sort of the broad beam attention, the right hemisphere's interest to create advertising that assumes no inherent interest in the brand, but which instead seeks to create interest in the brand. You know, too often, I think advertising today, particularly performance advertising and our ability to target assumes that there's already some kind of interest in the in the brand or, or you know that that's being advertised 
And therefore, you know, it, 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 it seeks simply to nudge people towards a purchase. I think we've, we've got to create work that, that captures attention, that interests people. And so working with Peter Field and the IPA's database, I show how these right brain campaigns make for, you know, more effective work. But you also track and report on the fact that there's been a decline in creative effectiveness over the years. Can you talk to that? Yeah, that's Peter's uh, finding, Peter Field's finding, which, you know, his data from the IPA's database, um, you know, agrees in in time terms, you know, chronological terms with, with my data that, you know, we've got since about 2008 or thereabouts, 2010, you know, the the long-term effectiveness of campaigns has been on the decline. That's the ability to generate share gain, you know, for your level of, of share of voice, as it were. So he he's shown this, and so he and I have worked quite closely together. So there is, a, I think there is a, a creative problem on the one hand, but I suspect there is also a, a, a media uh, channel problem too, uh, because you know, to create brand building work, you need audio visual, or let's say audio visual advertising is particularly good at generating brand building effects. And um, you know, in in many uh, many channels today, we have very limited attention uh, paid to advertising, just because of the environment it's served in. So you end up with. Uh, work that that you know only has a couple of seconds to to have any kind of brand building effect and that's you know very very difficult it's interesting to me that we've almost fallen into two tribes in the industry in the last 10 years and it's the the tribe of the performance marketer this the tribe of the brand builder and each are trying to make the cases for their particular tribe but in the last year or two, there seems to be this recognition that you can do um, you can do what might be labeled as performance-based marketing in a brand-based way, that they can coexist and that and at least they 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 don't have to be completely separate and distinct initiatives. Would you agree with that? I think that there has been that um there is that that feeling and there is that you know i've heard a lot of people talk about that um you know chatting to to peter field we've talked about this quite a bit and you know his evidence suggests that you need some sort of separation in a sense that you know there is brand build brand building work helps your activation work um work much harder um so you know that there is this that there is there is you know that you've got kind of both of those things working for you and what and you need the brand building bit for the activation bit to work at its very best so but that you know that's perhaps not to say that that advertising can't can't perhaps achieve uh, very impressive effects in the short term that that you know that that is essentially brand building advertising yeah i mean i look at i look at the insurance category over here in the us we have Geico, we have Progressive, and arguably those are direct response brand ads. You you could say that some of them are yes, but but they have all the 
you know, or many of the features of, of brand building advertising I describe, you know, a character um, doing something interesting uh, or, or people in a defined location, you know, interacting in, a, in an interesting and, and unusual and unexpected way. Is it your hope that people take away aspects of, of your suggested approach and your findings? Or is, or is it your hope that they take a more holistic view of it? I, you know, I, the last thing I want is for someone to to take to, to you know feel as if it was sort of painting by numbers. Um, I'd like people to sort of absorb holistically what I'm saying, the sorts of things that I'm describing, rather than it to become a kind of checkbox. Although, funnily enough, I was talking to a very experienced creative recently, and he said, "I think you know, I think people creatives really would welcome what you're doing, Orlando, because it gives them a kind of." I don't know, compass, a direction, a palette, you know, from which to to paint, which I think is rather nice. Um, so, you know, I don't want anyone to think that I'm, I'm you know, prescribing a, a certain formula. I'd like people to just to sort of absorb the essence of what I'm saying and, you know, do something brilliant with it. And that And that's the struggle that I think that strategists and uh, maybe client-side marketers will also sort of I think would ask you the question, which is how do you suggest we apply these findings to the development of work? Because a strategist, it's tough enough to get your creator brief bought into by the creative department, let alone suggesting how messages are shot. I mean, it's almost like we, we have to, we have to convince not just the creative directors and the art directors and the copywriters, but also the film directors on the shoot that they capture a lot of the, uh, a lot of the dimensions that you suggest are the, are, are factors in effectiveness. That's right. I suppose what I'm trying to do is create a, a you know, a, a, a language, you know, describe the sorts of things that, that work where there has been no language before. And, uh, in fact, that's what a lot of marketeers, senior marketeers who've come to me and asked for my help, you know, to train their teams or talk to their teams about what brand building advertising looks like. They say, you know, there's a generation of people who've grown up not really seeing or knowing what that advertising looks like, brand building advertising looks like, have been trained, you know, in this digital age. And so they don't really have the language to respond to a you know, to a script or to a or to a film um, that's presented to them. They don't really have a way of, you know, relating to talking about it. You know, is this good or not? I'm not sure. And so, what I hope to be able to do is to, you know, I suppose give people that that ability to talk about the work and the sorts of things that that are so appealing to the to the general public to the audience. So what do you what do you think or what do you suggest are the the strongest predictors of effectiveness success? Well, my my work points to um, a kind of advertising, I suppose, that has what I describe as character, incident, and place. And you know, obviously, that's not the only way to make great advertising, but I think I, I've seen it often enough for it to to feel, you know, and in all the research I've done to show that that sort of work not only is great at capturing attention, but getting people to 
to, to feel something, you know, and to, to remember the ad, to remember the brand. Perhaps just ask yourself, can the ad, as it stands, be described by answering the following three questions? Who's involved? Where does it happen? You know, where is it set, I suppose? Um, and what happens? You know, so it's you know, who, what and, and where. And um, that, that, I think, if you can answer those questions, then you're probably onto something. Um, and, you know, a lot of advertising, if you think about it, can't be described in that way today because, you know, it it's, tends to be very product-centric, lots of short, sharp cuts, no sense of lived time, no, often few people in it, um, and dislocated from, from uh, the world. So a character would be considered a um essential character or an individual or 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 it could be a yeah it could it doesn't have to be a human character but it could be anything i talk a lot about the fluent device so that's a a recurring character like the geico gecko or the the m&m's characters that's used repeatedly or a human scenario that's repeatedly used like the yorkshire tea you know where we do things proper uh, or indeed the snickers um you know, you're not you when you're hungry, or indeed in the UK, you know the Specsavers ads should have gone to Specsavers, yeah, and actually a, a lot of those also have um, they they have they have some, another quality to them which I describe in Lookout, which is that they they're a bit like a parable. You know, David Ogilvy talked about the importance of a big idea, but I think some of these campaigns, you know, have have a parable like quality to them in a parable. You know, you're not told what to think. You're told a, a sort of story, a simple story. Often it involves repetition, um, which, you know, repetition is a source of humour as well, which we can use in advertising. But there's a parable which, you know, where the moral of the story at the end of it is, you know, well, perhaps you should have used this brand or perhaps you should use this brand. So you, you have to take something out of it yourself as the audience. And I think that's a helpful way to think about you know, brand building advertising. There's been a lot of focus on distinctiveness in, in, in marketing and advertising, and I don't disagree that that's helpful. But I think a single-minded pursuit of distinctiveness can take you to a, a strange and surreal place that looks, you know, sort of a bit odd, really. And, and you know, people still need to be able to relate to what they're seeing. You get this sort of flight to fantasy sometimes. You used the term lasting effects in the book. I love that term. Uh, and it's an alternative to long-term effects because long-term effects, I think, are have been, the use of that term has been, um, has not been a way to m- help make the case for marketers who are trying to um, justify or make or build a business case for a long-term brand marketing. Lasting effects. Tell us about that because that really is a terrific alternative to long-term effects i think when people talk about long-term effects um you know there's a sense that they'll never come you know that there'll be (laughs) something will happen in in it's like a snapshot in time isn't it you know something will happen in two or three years time but you know what have we got to wait till then yeah exactly when when that when that that really isn't i don't think the best description of it you know we're not talking about a snapshot in time we're talking about a you know, a, a process where a cumulative process where, you know, the things that we do now 
and keep doing now will have a bearing on growth you know of trajectory over the next year or two you know so that's why i think it's important to talk about lasting effects you know which are, unfold over time you know it's a more right brain way of thinking about it i think than a than a snapshot in time the short term and the long term where you you know you you sort of see things you know in, in again the, the breaking down of time into 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 atomized moments um you know and who wouldn't want lasting effects from their advertising right exactly because i i think the idea of it lasting longer um certainly is a nice way to position it against performance marketing that is believed to uh, create an impact but not last long yes that's right i mean performance marketing in itself is is rather clever framing suggesting that any other kind you know perhaps it doesn't perform for you so i think uh, brand building advertising or advertising that creates these lasting effects is an important counter to that you know they need both frankly but you know let's not lose sight of the more important one which is brand building so I, you you bring up another point in the book which is about the idea that um that online brands need brand building in many ways more so than established offline brands and i'm curious tell us about that because it's it, i don't think it may not be counterintuitive but it is not believed to be as necessary uh, in a world where everybody is more performance oriented in their efforts online although i will say that we're seeing more uh, here in the us at least we're seeing more online brands beginning to use offline channels to build brands yes yes absolutely absolutely um, i mean Amazon has has been doing it, you know, using TV advertising. I think quite effectively. Um, yeah, you're right. It it, it the, it's the one of the points I make pretty much up front in the book. Look out, is that I say that you know, particularly now after the pandemic, you know, where so many companies were forced to move their operations and everything really uh, online. You know, when you when you start to move your business online, you can lose your physical availability, which means that you lose your mental availability, too. And it also means that you're competing with companies you know, around the world. You're not just competing with people in your your country or your region. But, you know, you lose that moat, if you like, that protective moat that that physical availability has given you as an established brand so when you start to move online or if you are an online business what you need to do to to ensure that you maintain or or, or even just establish in the first place that mental availability is you need to create brand building advertising because that's the sort of advertising that will put you in people's minds above any other that will make you come to mind before your competitors you know salience is from the latin salire to leap to leap to mind that's the, that's what you need to be you know you need to be the brand that people think of above any other it's you know you just need to be in the room basically when those decisions are made and that's what brand building advertising helps you to do and that means emotional work um with with many of the features i describe if i'm a strategist or if i'm a marketer client uh, who wholeheartedly believes that this can make a difference in terms of your advice. Yet I'm, I, I know that I'm going to face resistance from a creative or from a, uh, a, our director 
who's ultimately shooting or developing storyboards or developing ideas and developing uh, uh, shots or editing. How do you, what advice do you have for them and how to effectively communicate these ideas with you know, minimizing the yeah. resistance to them? Well, I mean, I, 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 first, first of all, I'd say get in touch. <laughs> I'd love to chat to you. I like um, that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, my books, I think, are a very helpful way to, you know, to, 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 to get people to sort of see what I'm trying to say here. And um, I think they're, you know, they perhaps have a, have a read of the books. There are some videos of me talking online. And also, I'd say, you know, you create a kind of virtuous circle between, you know, uh, the research, the agency and the, uh, and the client and the creative rather than one that's, you know, kind of at, at loggerheads. And uh, when you create that virtuous circle where everyone's pointing in the same direction, trying to create just the most emotive, memorable work that they can, then good things happen. Yeah, it's true. And I think with Paul Feldwick, we had that similar conversation. And I, I think it's a matter of everybody being in the mindset of creating effective work. If you if you have anything other than that, uh, it's almost impossible to have these types of conversations. Mm, that's that's true. You know, I hope that my work gives a kind of um, a, a more robust answer. You know, a kind of an argument for creativity and and of a, of a particular type that establishes brands it is orlando wood he's a chief innovation officer at system one and the author of two books lemon and look out orlando thank you so much for your time today we appreciate it absolute pleasure thanks for having me on folks and we'll see everybody on the next episode